0: Your Business, the creative industry podcast where we dive deep inside the work that seems oh so glamorous from the outside. I'm Gabby Hall. And I'm
1: Christine J. Fian, and we've combined forces to share our more than 20 years of expertise, research, and tips on how to make this whole creative journey worthwhile, whether you're a writer, photographer, designer,
0: developer, producer, or manager. Let's get into it. On today's episode, we're discussing the importance of drawing boundaries in creative work, along with steps on how to actually do it. And I think this topic is so important right now with so many people working from home. Boundaries have in some ways ceased to exist because people are like working in their dining rooms, AKA me. And so there's not a lot of boundaries happening. How are you feeling about it? I know that the
1: first way people tend to talk about boundaries is the ones they're guilty of not setting. And mm-hmm. this is probably why you're thinking of the lack of boundaries that are existing in a lot of people's work lives right now. Uh, as So many people are in work from home situations that may not have a lot of experience with it. But I can think of some boundaries that I've been really guilty of not setting in the past and that I'm working towards right now. You have some that are floating around in your head? Yeah, you know, when I think of
0: boundaries, I think of my own personal desire to like please and be there for people and and be the kind of employee that, people want to like work with and recommend. And they say she's committed to her work. And so I think my biggest boundary is, is my time and around like making sure I'm not working 12 hour days every day and giving my chance to be a person outside of my job. And I'm still figuring that out and what that looks like, because this industry demands so much from you, you know, creative work isn't something that leaves your brain, you might have your epiphany in the shower at eight o'clock at night. So it's a little bit weird from that perspective. What kind of boundaries are you guilty of not setting? Well, I break boundaries down into two different categories. Sounds like
1: yours are kind of blended and, Mm -hmm. and being stepped over. But mine, I think of more from a personal approach. And that's in line with self care, which is, of course, a huge buzzword right now. But that also affects friendships and family time and mm-hmm. sort of in your personal life. And then there are work management boundaries with setting limits. And I think it took me starting to understand that boundaries can be highly beneficial before I was really willing to step into the space where I set and enforce them. Because I come from a similar high achieving background to you, and also. Mm-hmm face a little of uh, the sense that I want to be a people pleaser, right? I want people to be happy with the work that I'm doing. So you need to get to a point where you're able to identify how much you have to gain by setting boundaries, I think, before you can convince yourself to start to put them in place.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think it it leads us into some of this research that we saw or kind of this argument that, you know, work-life balance is a odd saying in that it's very hard to find balance but we can find work life boundaries. So, Barry Cordero, president of Big Speak Inc, argued that the implementation of work life boundaries over work life balance is the best way to strive to be 100% present at work and 100% present at home. So, you set very clear walls between the two versus trying to strike this balance that has a little more gray area in there and that's where you see the benefit. I think that's a really interesting thought because balance is such a word that we use that like, can't these things live in harmony? And maybe they can, but there has to be a very clear divide between the two. Again, I have a slightly different way of looking at it. Um, Same
1: progression and same idea of of compartmentalizing. Mm -hmm. But instead of talking about work-life boundaries in that regard, I think of work-life focus. And if when you are at work, you are focused 100% on your work, to whatever extent you know you can be there's always emergencies right or something that might come up mm-hmm. from your personal life that you know that could step into that space but in general try to have 100% focus on the work that you're doing and when it is your personal time to do the very best you can to have 100% focus on your personal life but that just doesn't work for some people right you've said that you're kind of guilty of keeping work assignments constant in mind in the back, at least in the back of your mind Mm -hmm. throughout other aspects of of your life. So, you know, as much advice as we get from people and and we can read a lot of research and articles and there's always this like optimal way of operating that's going to get you to the next breakthrough you're looking through in your career and your life. A lot of it, I think, is still really personal. And to try to fit a person into a box that just feels so unnatural for them you know, maybe the best course of action is to
0: have less balance, but maybe a little bit more focus. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, have you ever worked in a job where you felt like you had no boundaries? Uh, Yeah, we've talked about this. We've worked (laughs) at it together.
1: (laughs) What? We were sitting side by side.
0: Um, Virtually.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Last episode, we were discussing the situations you can get into when you end up putting more effort in than you're compensated for. And that boundary also extends into the space when you're willing to do literally whatever it takes to do the best work possible because you're early on in your career or you know, you're trying to make a good impression to mm-hmm. eventually advance and to operate in the space where you're literally trying to impress people like at all times, Mm -hmm. exhausting.
0: Super exhausting, especially when you're waking up at like 3am to watch world cup races overseas
1: (laughs) or running through villages, you know, trying to get from said race to the press room that's on the other side of the town and you have no transportation and Mm -hmm. it just feels like you're supposed to do whatever you have to, to, to reach a deadline while the institution that set that deadline has no idea the obstacles and amazing race-esque challenges you've had to <laughs> overcome in order to file. Uh, yeah, we both have a lot of experience in that department. And I like to think that I am a recovering person that had no work-life balance.
0: mm mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when, as we're having this conversation, it makes me think of Brene Brown. And it makes me think of this idea of like the stories we tell ourselves. So she tells this story. I think it's in her, her Netflix special, too. But I've heard her talk about it a lot where she's hanging out with her husband. They have this interaction and she's not getting the reaction she wants And so she starts making up the story in her mind. Right. And I think it's the same thing with work. Sometimes we tell ourselves this story about expectations or like, oh, I need to be always on because this is a very high intensity work environment, but that may not be the actual case. And so I think having like a reflection moment too to say like, do I need to be working till eight o'clock at night? Like, is anyone's life on the line? hundred percent of the time in the creative industry, like no one's going to die. We're not doctors. And so telling ourselves the appropriate stories is super, super important because I think it it helps us not spiral out of control, but it's also really tough to self-reflect like that, especially when we all get so busy. And we're not advocating
1: for sloppy work uh, no. in, in any regard, but I think this a second part of that feeling also comes from the sense that you're being watched at all times. So mm-hmm. if you get an email or you get pinged on Slack or something late in the evening, maybe you have the assumption that you're supposed to give a response at that amount, at that exact time. Mm -hmm. And in reality, the person who sent that to you might've just said, well, I don't want to have to go to sleep with this on my, you know, in my head. So I'm going to send the message before I go to sleep, but they don't expect you to respond. And then you get it late in the evening. You're like, Oh my God, I just got this. And now I have to do something with it. Otherwise I'm going to be judged for not being as committed or being lazy or
0: uh, that's why you use an email scheduler. (laughs) That's the the moral of that story. (laughs) For management, yeah, but not everyone is always
1: thinking through the effect that their messaging is having on the person that's receiving it. And it is great to work in an organization where there is acceptance of email scheduling and people don't overstep those bounds. But I've heard 7 million stories of one that doesn't get respected. So it doesn't mean the recipient needs to take on the anxiety unless, you know, you're are actually curing cancer or Mm -hmm. launching rockets or other things where Mm -hmm. you need to be on.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm curious. I know you've done a little research on this. Like, What are some of the reasons people don't set boundaries for themselves?
1: I think similar to the examples that we've given from our personal lives, but one that stands out a lot and that people can do something about is because they don't see their managers setting any and
0: <laughs> you
1: lead by example 100 percent. and organizationally when there's a complete breakdown of boundaries it's it often starts with leadership and if leadership acknowledges none and has none and you know steps into this workaholic space then that sets a tone for the entire company and then people feel like they're not allowed to not be available at all times or to time box things or to have any kind of boundary around their work that it needs to be on this 24 seven cycle. And the risk of that is if you give space for work to exist at all times of the day, uh, there is a a theory in work management called Parkinson's law, which is that the work you're doing actually will expand to fill the time that you allot to it. Mm -hmm. So if you tell yourself, I'm gonna give myself 12 hours to write a draft of this blog post, Surprise, surprise, it's probably going to take you 12 hours. Now, you might procrastinate for some period of time <laughs> before you sit down to get started, but that procrastination time is built into the workspace. So, if you can condense, and, and you notice this, people tend to get so much more done literally when they don't have time to do it. Mm-hmm. It's true. So, so if you give yourself, you know, in the work day or work week, too much time or you or you let there be time bleed into other spaces and areas of your life, the
0: work will just seep its way in there. It works its way into all those little cracks and crevices. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that is that'll often happen, in my opinion, to your point about seeing other people do it. It'll happen most when you see other people being like rewarded or validated for like working some time on the weekend to get something done or whatever, because they're committed to the deadline. But you know, we have to ask ourselves: like, were those deadlines unrealistic? Like, did we ask too much of someone? I think as leaders, we have to be aware of the fact of what we're rewarding and and validating as good work. Because to your point, all of that trickles down. And if we say, "Oh, it should take you four hours to do that," you're going to fill that time. But maybe that means it creeps into the weekend, and that's not good either. So it's all this balance of like, leaders setting boundaries and employees setting boundaries, and us all being more conscious and a little more caring for each other and how we're doing that. Cause I, I really feel like the creative industry is not great about boundaries.
1: One of the greatest pitfalls that we also need to be aware of is the fact that it is very difficult to hold yourself accountable for something. Mm -hmm. So if you have leadership, that's setting a bad example and then it's falling on your shoulders to, you know, set and maintain boundaries and you are 100% responsible for your own accountability. This can be another trap. It sounds great, especially on January 1st of a new year, right? Oh, I'm going to go in fresh. I'm going to set a bunch (laughs) of boundaries and I'm going to hold myself accountable. And similar to this new year's resolution where people totally tell themselves they're going to lose weight. They're going to go to the gym. They're going to buy a membership. Most research shows that the most effective method of holding yourself accountable is to set yourself up in a very artificial transaction where you have to pay somebody money if you do not meet the expectation that you set for yourself. And it works even better if you have to pay someone you don't like, though that might make it a hard accountability partner um, (laughs) because you'd have to approach them in the first place. Or I've also seen this with people who say, I will donate money to a charity that is of an oppositional political party, let's say, to the one that I support. So, No matter where your politics lie, if you do not meet this goal that you have for yourself, you're going to donate money to XYZ, then that can help you also hold yourself to these new standards that otherwise, you know, you can just let slip by.
0: Oof, the idea of donating to a political party, I don't agree with that would be highly motivating. (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh... Yeah, that's wild. But I mean, it makes total sense. I think obviously in that case, you still need the accountability partner to like be checking in with you and make sure that you keep up with it because it's an easy thing to promise yourself something and then be like, well, I didn't tell anyone. And so I'm not going to do it. So if you take something away from this episode, make sure that you take away that you need to hold yourself accountable, but you need to tell someone, put it out in the universe so that the rest of the world can hold you accountable. It's important.
1: And actually like not asked to be paid for the fact that you're holding yourself to that but mm-hmm. know that you're not losing money because humans are more motivated by loss aversion we'd rather not give up something we already have than gain something we never had
0: that's really interesting i guess that's true we're all just like as we're growing we're just protecting everything that we have and so and loss is super painful and so like yeah want the avoidance of pain is super motivating It's I guess it makes sense. It's kind of a depressing way to start the year, though, just like (laughs) lighting a fire under your ass, being like, well, here we go. Don't fuck it up. (laughs) Don't lose all my money
1: (laughs) by just doing everything I've been doing all along for the past so many years. (laughs) But aside from the accountability piece, you
0: know, how do you see boundaries being beneficial? I think for me, boundaries are the most beneficial because I find the most opportunity to explore like different areas of my life that I haven't gotten to invest in before. So, you know, for example, I work my work week and like during Monday through Friday, I'm very committed to like my nine to five job. That's not so nine to five a lot of the time, but I set boundaries and I, I really don't work weekends unless there is a pitch that has to be done on Monday, something like that. But Weekends are my sacred time. And for me, that's great because then it means like I can go shoot content for my blog one morning and I can go on dates with my boyfriend, and I can sleep in or take a nap in the middle of the day or catch up on my TV shows. But it's my protected time to explore different parts of my life. And for me, that's super important. So I feel like it's beneficial just from a time protection standpoint and giving yourself space to do things that are like entirely unrelated, to the work that you do during the work week.
1: Yeah, for me, you know, I've definitely sort of like, even since I was a student, found that I don't want to spend all imaginable time and hours on something. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm working on a project basis and I know that my hourly rate can go up, right? If I can be more efficient and productive with my work, I'm always kind of life hacking and tweaking my way to best optimal work for clients with least amount of time invested. That's a fine science. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still trying to get to the bottom of, but I love that game in a way. It's, you know, how can I deliver at a certain quality? And then I also see that if more time goes into certain processes, quality actually can decrease. Mm-hmm. So the benefit I see is if you know how to operate within boundaries very well, then you should be looking at higher quality work that gives you the freedom and flexibility to pursue other things that you, like things you've talked about. And those those activities, it's sort of a circle that pays back into itself
0: because those activities that you described can also help make you more creative. Totally. Well, and I think that's the craziest thing about like, All of this. And I feel like maybe we touched on it in the last episode where you work and work and work and work and then you don't do anything else. And then you're out of ideas and you're just like, I'm not creative anymore. There's nothing in there. And really that's because you like didn't get up and take a walk. You didn't go talk to anyone who wasn't in a Zoom call, whatever it is. And so you're just in your little bubble and you're like, I can't think creative in anything anymore. Like what's going on in the world? And so you have to give yourself those breaks to... (laughs) Digest anything that's not related to your job. And that's where the good ideas come from. Always. That's why I say, like, sometimes you have your epiphany in the shower because, like, it's those times where you step away from the work in your computer where all of a sudden you're like, that's the tagline. I don't even want to go back in time to the days where there
1: wasn't enough time to take a shower in the (laughs) (laughs) workday.
0: I'm having flashbacks to, like, end of the World Cup race. uploading video finishing the article going to team captain stuffing dinner in your face on a phone out. call on a phone call with the NBC production staff asking why the file hasn't come through because the <laughs>
1: internet is so slow <laughs> and they're on air and if they don't get the interview in the next 5 minutes it will have to air in the recap
0: show and it will oh all be God. for naught mm. <laughs> yeah all oh, the glory days but let's uh, let's get into some of our, our tricks
1: and secrets. I mean, we've talked a lot about how we struggle with this, but I yeah. know for both of us, it has, you know, since our experiences several years ago, where we had to go down that rabbit hole to mm-hmm. climb our way back out. Uh, let's go through some of these tricks and tips that have helped us and that we also use in the management of those that we work with.
0: So the first one point I want to make is about deadlines. Uh, Christine and I are both big fans of deadlines from our journalism days and I think even setting personal deadlines is super important. I mean, Christine can attest, we even struggled after our first episode to then get this recording session on the books and finalize this outline and get to recording because there was so much other stuff going on in our lives. And so one, we get to be each other's accountability buddies, which is always super fun. But having a deadline and being like, this is our drop dead date, we got to record this episode is hugely important for actually taking action and getting something done and setting aside the time to do it in an efficient manner.
1: I like how uh, behind the scenes, honest you just got (laughs) with our listeners. But yeah, I mean, that was, it was fun to get to the point where we both realized if we didn't have a deadline, this could go on for all time to to not necessarily (laughs) hunt us down. We, We were being too kind to each other to say, no, we can do it next week or, oh, I understand. Let's put it off. Let's put it off. And then you get into a cycle of, procrastination and putting off. So Mm -hmm. yeah, those deadlines, but I like to break deadlines up even into smaller chunks. Now, after doing a lot of work in agile methodologies, I've become a huge fan of time boxing and time. Yeah. And time boxing, which I I talk about kind of all the time right now because I use it in my professional life and my personal life. It is an awesome way of chunking up things that you need to do in very small, very specific amounts of time. So you can time box by 20 minutes or you can time box by two hours, but you basically say, I'm going to be fully focused on the task at hand in this amount of time and you set a timer. And when that timer ends, you are done with that. So in the very final moments as it's tick, tick, ticking away, there can be some stress, but that stress can be good. It can be highly motivational. And if you don't get your, you know, let's call it deliverable, right, to a level that you're happy with in that timeframe, it's not that like a bomb goes off and you just have to submit (laughs) it and you have no choice. You can reflect on what you were able to do in that amount of time. And then you can give yourself a new time box to work on it for an additional period. Are you using this in your agency or
0: is this something you're just playing around with personally? It's not an agency-wide practice. Uh, We do have a few people at the agency that really champion the style of working. And I try to use it as much as possible within reason. I think we can all attest to the fact that you can want a time box. And then someone's like, hey, I need to hop on a quick call because X, Y, and Z is like all going crazy or whatever it is. But I do try to time box, especially with my early morning writing sessions when I'm most creative. And I'll be like, okay, this 90-minute block, I'm working on some brand messaging. This 30 minute block, I'm going to edit that piece for another writer, you know, whatever it is. And it's super helpful for me, not only from just a time blocking perspective, but then ultimately a time sheets perspective. And if you have to do time sheets, like solidarity, man, I'm so behind on mine. It's not great, but it's going to make it a lot easier when I get around to actually filling out the form because it's all going to be in my calendar because I time blocked. So it's like a, it's a two for one deal. You get a lot of benefits out of time boxing.
1: So then once you have set your deadlines and you have time boxed your day and you've gone through many, many, many days, it's really important to take a personal audit. Mm -hmm. And the personal audit can happen weekly, monthly, quarterly. I mean, some people do it at the start and end of every day. For me, that's probably a bit much. But I think weekly and monthly are the two most important and always an annual And if you're doing it well, the quarterly doesn't necessarily always have to be something on the schedule, sort of depending on the ebbs and flows of your calendar. I know Mm -hmm. you're hitting a really tough quarter right now. Mm -hmm. Have you taken any personal audits, Gabby, through this process?
0: I think unofficially, sure. I mean, you kind of look back at your week and you're like, oh, I had all these time boxes and then I ended up doing 15 other things for like 15 minute increments. So you didn't give yourself like a nice two hour chunk to really focus on something. So I wouldn't say I'm like super succeeding at it right now. But I think to your point, auditing is important because it gives you that acknowledgement of the fact that it's just you are imperfect. You're human. But then how do you fix that? Like what steps can you take to protect that time and get with the work done that you need while also still attending to the needs of like the larger agency and the teams that you're working on and how they need you in real time. And so that's always a balance, especially I think in, to your point, Q4, where it's, I don't want to say dumpster fire, but it's like a little bit of a dumpster fire. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) something that you just mentioned about like, how do you actually get the work done, you know, especially being surrounded by coworkers reminds me of one of the banes of my existence of working in large offices, which is Mm -hmm. when anyone can kind of drop by your desk at any time. And I know a lot of people have said that's why work from home has been so much more productive because there isn't this sort of lost kind of shoot the shiz time going Mm -hmm. on uh, in people's days. But, you know, there's also the sense that you need to set physical and emotional boundaries with your coworkers first from not taking things that happen in the workplace personally to doing what you can to res- you know, resist distractions and making conscious decisions. Like, should you be friends with your coworkers? If you're in a position of leadership, this is really difficult, but being intentional about how you go about considering these boundaries with coworkers can also be super helpful.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you bring up kind of this transition from when we were all in the office to many of us working from home, because I do think early on my perspective was, wow, I'm so much more productive because I don't have people like, stopping by my desk. And if you think about my desk at the office, just to paint the picture for everyone, my desk, you can literally see my whole screen for anyone that walks on the hallway, because I'm right on the edge of the hallway. And so I'm like, very, very exposed, which is good from an accountability perspective, you don't get distracted by social media or anything. But and you don't spend as much money online shopping during the workday. (laughs) (laughs) True, but I would say what I've realized over time is like one, I as a person really like the casual interactions, but two, now a lot of those like quick check-ins where someone might be like, come by your desk and say, Hey, like, what's the status on this? Or I was thinking about this project. Like, what do you think? Those little interactions have now become meetings. And so now it's like, Hey, can we do a quick 15 minute meeting? And then it's very easy for a 15 minute meeting to, roll into a half hour because you start talking about other things. And so there's an element where I'm wondering, is work from home getting, we've lost some of that efficiency because we're trying to like find connection again. And I think we're all trying to find that balance, but it's an interesting shift that I've noticed for me personally in the second half of, well, I don't know if we're in the second half, fingers crossed, but second half of this year, shall we say, as we kind of navigate work from home and get more used to doing this. So finding ways to start boundaries like turning off Slack notifications has been really big or telling your team like, hey, I'm going heads down for a couple of hours. Like if you need me, send up flares because I'm not gonna check Slack. That's been super, super important for me. Yeah,
1: I definitely think uh, eliminating notifications across all platforms when you know you're able to take time away and not having the thought, right, that maybe something's gonna ding in my pocket or vibrate or you know, am I gonna have to answer a call in the middle of sort of focused work or even personal time that you're stepping outside with. One of the most important things I did when I left my last most stressful job was turn off just even personal email notifications. Mm -hmm. Because I sort of figure at this point, if someone's sending you a personal email, it doesn't need to come to you quickly. And I can check that a lot less frequently. And that was super helpful for me. If it's personal and someone needs to reach you, they're gonna text you or, or call. But, it's true, But we were talking about earlier in this episode, how people are very individualistic with how they approach boundaries and, mm-hmm. and, and what they want it to look like in sort of their work-life balance. And Ellen Kosek, she wrote this article uh, titled Managing Work-Life Boundaries in the Digital Age. And she's broken people down into three different categories based on how they prefer to set boundaries. So mm-hmm. you have a separator, we have the integrator, and we have the cycler
0: but I'm dumb.
1: Yeah. I ride a bike. Am I a cycler? No. Okay. So so the separator is a person who follows the real traditional concept of work-life balance, where we were saying earlier that you compartmentalize and segment certain hours of your day for work and certain times for personal. So that would be that 100% focus on one or the other. We have. The alternative, who is the integrator, and that's the one that's sort of constantly blending both worlds. So personal time works its way in throughout the day. Business comes, you know, into your life, even if you're at a personal event, Mm -hmm. and maybe you're going to move back and forth between your worlds, but both of them are always going to be kind of ever present. And the third type of person is the cycler. And that's when you put special emphasis in, it's almost like seasonal work. So you're going to put extra effort and extra time into a certain cycle, and that's gonna be your work cycle or extra effort, extra time into a personal cycle. So that was kind of like your weekends maybe, right? Mm -hmm. So if during the week you're sort of not available for too much personal time, but your weekends are like, okay, let's
0: catch up and harvest. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think I can see elements of myself in all three of these, right? Probably like depending on where I'm at and like just the work cycle and like how insane things are. But I feel like I identify most kind of with the integrator because I have a very hard time focusing on work for like eight hours straight in a day. So I do find that I'll take like work three hours and then I might like take a half hour to go like make some lunch, walk around, like try to just like Find a little inspiration, and so I feel like I try to do a little bit of both during the day. But I'm curious, do you identify with one of those types more than the others?
1: I identify now with being a separator, but I'm a separator who cycles. <laughs> so, <Nice. laughs> so there can be times that are super heavy work-wise, mm-hmm. um, but it's for work, and then other times that are super heavy personal, but it's for personal. But I I try not to let too much blend together as much as I can but I want to ask you if you had to be one of the other two which would be the hardest for you to become
0: oh that's interesting I oh so I think the easiest to become would be the cycler because I do love the idea of like just really going like heads down for like two months and working really hard and then having like two months off or something like that. Cause I know there's industries that work like that. I think the true separator would be super hard for me just because I feel like I just tend to like flight between the two in my brain. You know, I tend to be like, Oh, I'm thinking about work and then the work triggers me to think about something personal. And sometimes I want to go like attend a lunch event or do something in the afternoon that's like personal or something like that. And so the idea of just like having blinders on and going a hundred percent one or the other at any given time would be super, super tough for me. Yeah. I think the hardest
1: for me to go back into would be full scale cycling, which
0: Mm -hmm. is,
1: is what sort of was required in the work on, on the professional ski circuit. And I feel like it's doable, but you know, we've, we've talked last episode a little bit about burnout. It's doable, but not sustainable for some people. And I'm mm-hmm. a person that it, in the end, it was not sustainable for, but there are aspects of it that I have found highly useful. And that's why I still continue to incorporate some of that into my
0: schedule now. Mm-hmm. Hey, I mean, I, what I liked about that, that period of time was like, yeah, the winters from what like World's Cup opener and sold then in October through April, like all we did was talking about ski racing. And it was like, your life revolved around getting up really early and going to bed late and like that and traveling and driving around Europe. And it was super, super intense. You just lived in work. But then, you know, when the summer hit, it was like, okay, so the big news is if someone retires or someone gets, gets injured, injured, doing something stupid or um, someone changes
1: ski brands.
0: Yes. New ski, brand new year, always big news, and so those were great because, like, to be frank, those stories for the most part were like pretty easy. You weren't killing yourself to get up in the morning. Like occasionally there was breaking news, and you know you had to jump in, but it did give you a lot more flexibility in the off season, which was nice.
1: Yeah, I think the only challenge was you just said the winter, which starts in October, but even really before that, probably more like September in the lead up, yeah, and ends around April. And that's eight months out of the year. So (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it wasn't like a fair six month split, but you know, what are you, what are you going to do about it? But I would encourage all of our listeners to reflect back on the sort of the tips that we shared on how we have learned how to set boundaries and also to go through a self-analysis of right now, if you're a separator, an integrator or a cycler. And if you should consider incorporating some aspects from those other personalities into how you're approaching your work.
0: Yeah. And I think to that point, you know, I would love to hear from you guys, our listeners, what tips and tricks you have for setting boundaries. You know, Christine and I are two people in a very large industry. And so I look forward to hearing what tips you guys have for doing this because I'm always open to some creative solutions for how we can all be better about setting boundaries. Thanks for
1: tuning in again to All Up In Your Business with uh, Gabby Hall and me, I'm Christine J. Fian. And just like last time, if you enjoy what you're hearing and you think that others could benefit from listening too, then share our podcasts on your favorite social channels, rate us, or write a review, which is super helpful for us.
0: And then next time, episode three, we will be discussing the inherent challenges and opportunities in performing creative work and what growth looks like over the course of a career in the industry. Until then, keep it creative.